Hi guys, welcome back to the Colorful Plates podcast, your weekly source for what's happening in the produce and food service world. This week, Jamie and I will discuss our favorite chef interviews of 2019 so far, which include James Beard award-winning chef Jen Lewis, Top Chef Judge and James Beard Award winner Hugh Atchison, Iron Chef winner, James Beard Award semifinalist and Southern Chef extraordinaire David Bancroft, and James Beard Award nominee Roberto Santabanez, and Top Chef contestant Joe Sasto. First, let's take a look at our market reports. Limes are in good supply and the quality is excellent. Try adding a fresh lime margarita to your drink menu this month. You can also use the zest in so many different applications. Try adding lime zest to your key lime pie for that zesty punch or adding it to a salad dressing for a rich citrus flavor. Moving on to green onions whose supplies are extremely plentiful. The cooler weather back in March and April has caused minor leaf damage, but that shouldn't deter you from using them as a garnish. Use on top of your favorite salad for a bold accent or on top of your savory beef and broccoli dish. Domestic stone fruit is in peak season. Quality is excellent and demand is down. It's the perfect time to stock up on your favorite peaches, nectarines, and plums. The cherry market is steady, but due to weather conditions earlier in the season, the overall cherry harvest should end sooner rather than later. Don't miss out on the opportunities to taste the amazing fruit this season has to offer. For iceberg lettuce, demand continues to exceed supplies and will for the rest of the week. Although the quality is clean, the weight is extremely low and producers are having to buy extra product, which in turn is creating issues for carton availability. There will hopefully be more availability in the coming weeks. Romaine is also in a supply gap with light to moderate availability, depending on the supplier. Try using kale or tenderleaf varieties instead of iceberg. Kale is sturdier and tenderleaf varieties add an earthy punch. Strawberries continue to be light in production on the front end of this week. Quality has been fair with bruising and overripe fruit being the major issue. It's recommended to keep your inventory lean, maintain temperatures, and keep proper rotation practices. The quality is set to improve in the next week or two, permitting the weather. Other berries, particularly blackberries and raspberries, are in short supply, but blueberries are plentiful coming out of the Pacific Northwest. In place of strawberries, try using frozen strawberries, blueberries, or adjust your menu to use preserves. This will allow you to use strawberries, but in a different form. You might want to replace the pina colada on your menu, as pineapple supplies have been snug for most of the summer. Quality has become more of an issue with browning on the interior of the fruit, which can be attributed to excess water absorption pre-harvest. It's a week-to-week situation with supplies. Consider using other summer fruit favorites, such as melons, to substitute. Or try using some of that delicious stone fruit we mentioned earlier. That's all we have for market reports this week. Remember to check out the source on ProAct's website as soon as it's released each Wednesday. This week, Liz and I decided to do a recap of our favorite sound bites from 2019 chef interviews. We'll start first with Chef Jen Lewis, renowned for her simple and sophisticated style of cooking that draws inspiration from her roots in the Pacific Northwest. We asked Jen what led her to becoming a chef and what inspires her. So tell us a little bit uh, about how and why you became a chef. Let's start there. You know, uh, becoming a chef wasn't really an option when I was younger. I graduated from college and I went to a private liberal arts college and I grew up in a pretty conservative family and cooking wasn't really ever presented to me. Mm -hmm. After college, I got a job just kind of on a fluke. Uh, cooking and and kind of what was expected of me is to be a teacher or maybe a social worker and then have kids and you know just very traditional lifestyle and 
it didn't totally work for me. And after I got this job cooking, um, kind of on a fluke, I, I, my whole world changed. It, it was the creativity that I'd always wanted, but I couldn't draw and I couldn't paint. Mm -hmm. So I just started thinking really differently and it made me really excited. And from there, I decided to go to culinary school and it was the, you know, the, the most creative and energetic thing that I'd ever done. It was wonderful. Yeah. So where did you go to culinary school and what position did you start out as in the kitchen? Well, I went to a little school that doesn't exist any longer in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was a fine school. Typically with culinary school, it's really, it's about what you do when you get out, getting your hands in getting your hands dirty and uh, learning how to cook. It's, it, you know, it's, it's a never ending process and, and you can specialize in being really, you know, really good at one thing, or you can continue to learn about all the facets of cooking, which is, you know, all different ethnicities and vegetables and meats and pastas and grains. And like, there's just so much, it's, there's so much learning to be done that there's always more to know and more to experience and definitely more to taste. So I think for me listening to that, I found it interesting that Jen speaks to how she relates cooking to other forms of art, such as painting and drawing, because before she said that and I heard that, I didn't really, I didn't really make that connection, but I think it's super interesting. And I know, Jamie, you've had experience in the food service industry. So did you ever draw that parallel yourself? I think that's why I sort of I think the reason I liked working in a kitchen was because it was very tactile and you did have to plan and you did have to get creative with certain processes. So, yeah, I can I, I think I can um, relate to what she's saying when it comes to relating it to an art form. Yeah. So next, we're going to circle back to Hugh Atchison, who we interviewed at the beginning of the year. Chef Hugh spoke with us about his Seed Life Skills program, which empowers youth to take control over their kitchens, diets, and their lives, teaching them valuable skills that go beyond the kitchen. Talk a little bit about your the Seed Life Skills program. Can you give us a little brief explanation on that and um, yeah. why that was started? Yeah, it, uh, it started about four years ago and uh, it's seedlifeskills.org and it's an organization that I started uh, through a foundation that uh, seeks to better home economics curriculum in middle schools. So grade six, seven, eight, we're just contemporizing and rewriting home economics curriculum. So it's actually a full curriculum online. People can download anywhere. It's been downloaded thousands and thousands of times around the world. It's live in our county, uh, so four middle schools here. But it teaches kids, it kind of atomizes uh, life skills down to building blocks. If I can teach a kid 12 points of culinary technique, that they can then arrange in different ways throughout their life, but that they know those core techniques, I'm teaching them the life skills. Teaching them recipes is kind of, recipes are predetermined. They're not, it's not making one think about how you could adapt a skill set to be used in a slightly different way or combine two skills and techniques to come up with something different. So when we talk about cooking skills, we're talking about like, how do you make a vinaigrette? How do you roast a chicken? How do you make a salad? How do you make yeah. a soup? So those are all technique-based stuff. And because it, it really whittles down, to, and there's a lot of other stuff about using things and 
um, recycling and sustainability and the idea of growing and planting. And all of that just gets into this notion that I want to give kids some retainable knowledge that when they get to 18, 19, 20, the most difficult lot years of life because you're trying to figure it out, yeah. trying to figure out where you're going next and what you're doing. I want to just make make it easier for them to get through some of the hurdles in life and be able to nourish and sustain themselves and those around them. I want them to be able to say three magic words. I got this. Yeah, I'm 32 and I wasn't taught. I, I didn't have a home economics. I just kind of had to learn on my own. My husband's same and he doesn't know how to cook broccoli at this point. But, uh, <laughs> so it's yeah, like, I mean, come so on. Many people, yeah, so many people were like, can you make a course like that for adults? And yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. It's like, you know, it, but if I, if I can teach somebody how to poach an egg, it's like, do you know how life-changing that is? If you can properly always know how to cook a great piece of complex protein that costs 30 cents. Yeah. But you can actually cook it perfectly and then make a salad dressing and a little salad to go with it, and you're done. So this, yeah. this, it's pulling the veil off of food because the food world's put this artificial fancy chef hat on everything. They've said that, you know, food's complicated, let us do it. And, but the truth in the most economical way of living is actually still cooking from scratch because no matter how much a Happy Meal costs, I can make you something better for you for half the price in half the time. And, but people just have to learn that convenience has taken a toll and that doing things from scratch is actually not that difficult. Okay, Liz, so I remember when we first listened to this after I had, had interviewed uh, Hugh, we were talking about how we first started to learn how to cook. And um, I, I had no formal training. I just kind of watched my family cook my whole life. Um, never had an, uh, uh, econ class. Um, and what was your experience growing up, uh, around cooking? Like, why do you love to cook? I think I love to cook. I always helped my mom in the kitchen. I distinctly remember her teaching me how to make meatloaf and spaghetti and like really basic <clears throat> not mom meals, but like meals to feed a family, you know? And so I knew those. And then I took a home ec class in seventh grade and learned how to make orange Julius and uh, barbecue biscuit cup things. And neither of those really uh, strike, strike my fancy, but um, really I started getting into culinary practices, ventures, cooking for myself when I was in college. And I was like, Oh no, I'm on my own. I have to feed myself. So learning basics like how to cook broccoli how to make a salad did you use youtube to find these to find how to how to use these techniques and how to cook i think for me i use a lot of pinterest um pinterest is kind of my go-to just because there's so many recipes on there and also just seeing stuff when i would eat out that i would think was good and then i could kind of riff off of that so in the past two years or so i've really gotten into cooking and have really learned how to look at my fridge and say, okay, what can I make out of this? And I think that's been kind of fun. I mean, what about you? Like you cook like that? I cook. I used to cook a lot more. Now I'm just tired all of the time. So I don't cook as much. <laughs> but I, yeah, I would just watch my family cook, honestly, like I said before, and just kind of pick it apart and just research stuff on the internet. And then, um, I thought I wanted to be a chef, so I worked at a kitchen in a kitchen for a little bit, and it's a lot harder than you think it is. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I really do wish that I had an opportunity, and I feel like you wish you had an opportunity to actually for sure. 
go to a program like this and learn from somebody, learn from Hugh, um, how just basic techniques of cooking. Absolutely. Now we have Chef David Bancroft, whose southern roots, spunk, and desire for better food in his life inspired him to start cooking. Liz asked Chef Bancroft how he stays inspired in the kitchen and if he has any advice for other chefs. How do you stay inspired in the kitchen? I mean, is is the produce just right outside your window and these local farmers, they just keep you on your toes, I guess, from the sounds of it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the rush to stay ahead of the season and also being in rhythm with the seasons is a, is a very exciting. You know, I love the outdoors and hunting and fishing, but also foraging and finding and farming. And, and that just always drives my enthusiasm and passion for food. The day I don't have that enthusiasm, you better hope I close the door to Acre. And so honestly, it's just, it's an obligation for our team. We make it an obligation to use the best of the best, to provide the best of the best. And, and my philosophy for food is also equally in line with my philosophy for people and our guest. And that is, I'm cooking because I love to cook, but I'm cooking like this because I like to serve you. And I want you to be happy. And I want you to get a good bite. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm in the kitchen staring at your face to see your reaction. Because <laughs> you love your community. Yeah. And, and this is just, this is the way that I serve people. I, I try to do it the best I can with a servant's heart. And whether it be philanthropically or through food and through business, this is, this is how I do it. I have my staff, my entire team engaged, interested, but also full believers of the system that we have, and they're fully supportive. And they, they want to experience the same nostalgia that I get when they watch me put out a dish and watch my face and my reaction. They're like, oh man, that's why we're here. So what advice would you give other chefs on how to stay inspired and inspiring their team? I mean, oftentimes you, you just have to push through. You just have to put opportunity in place to give you a reason to be passionate. It's very easy to get in a rut. It's very easy to just stay indoors and hit the repeat button. Uh, it's a great dish. They love it. Everybody loves it. Leave it. Don't mess with it. Just leave it but you're never going to try to create a better dish than that one. And so from, you know, my advice is, is always open yourself up for opportunity. Always aspire to make the dish one step, one level better than it is. Listen to your guests, listen to your farmers, listen to your community. And if you're going to be a chef, in my opinion, you're obligated to be the very best you can. There should always be the strive to be better, but oftentimes it's good for a chef to get out, get out of the restaurant, go do an event, go do a tasting event, go do a fundraiser, go in the woods and look for stuff, go fishing, go hunting, go to a farm and go meet the people, meet your community. You can't run a restaurant just looking at tickets printing out and that's your thought of people. People aren't tickets. They're living, breathing people in your community that want to be nurtured, want to be taken care of. They want to feel at home in your hands, in your building, in your restaurant, in your kitchen, in your dining room. And that's an obligation. So I think for me, 
Well, first of all, I really enjoyed this interview. Um, both of us are Southern. I graduated from Auburn University. That's where his restaurants are. I've actually eaten at Acre, um, and his food is just so good. And he really does practice what he preaches. Um, chef Bancroft is an incredible chef, and I know that I was inspired by what he said. And I'm not even a chef. I'm just a home cook. And so um, – I really think that Southern hospita- Southern hospitality is a real thing, um, and I think he kind of brings that to his restaurant, which kind of ups the ante. I mean, the restaurant industry is cutthroat, so anything to sell- set yourself apart I think is really great, and the way he treats his customers and um, takes on this role as a chef is is really something, honestly. Well, I, I he sort of humanizes his... Uh, customers definitely and says you know they're not just tickets and right but that made me think we need to humanize him and his staff because they're not just people they're not just robots in the back working they're humans and they're trying to do something so it's this back and forth of being passionate about food but not being too critical and you know one of that that whole thing yeah I think as patrons to our restaurant we need to realize that chefs are back there trying to serve us and I think that comes through in the food um it it really comes through in the food and the atmosphere and um like I said it's a cutthroat industry so any way to set yourself apart and I think humanizing your customers is a really great way of doing that yeah definitely he's so inspiring he's very serious and very real and solid and it makes you want to live a better life and no matter what area of work you're in. Yeah, he makes me want to be a better person. <laughs> One of our more recent chef interviews featured Chef Roberto Santabanez. I had spoken with Shane Zutenhorst from Rainier Fruit Company recently, and he mentioned his wish for more cherries in food service. I was delighted to hear Chef Roberto mention getting creative with cherries, among other commodities, in the kitchen. His passion for using ingredients in exciting ways makes me want to go home and experiment myself. Now, what fruits or vegetables are you currently just enjoying working with? Well, right now, they, um, they brought us from a little bit further south, some peaches. Mm. Oh, I love peaches. Those are, I, yeah, tasty. I, I really love peaches. There's a farmer here. Um, that has uh, another friend farmer that that sent him some pitches and we're we're loving them. We're 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 doing um, desserts. We did a tart the other day. We cut them up. We put them with tres leches cake. We made yeah. a coconut tres leches and we added just diced peaches on it. It was so good. Oh, um, I bet. Yeah, cherries are awesome coming up from further south a little bit, and they're good, you know. Um, yeah, what do you what now, do you use the cherries in? Well, we uh, we use them as as fruit in the in desserts, mm-hmm. um, but we also make a little salsa um, that we do with cherries. Yum! So we pit the cherries and then we roast them and we crush them like if they were tomatoes um, with roasted jalapenos and uh, a little bit of onion and garlic and a little lime juice and a little salt and they're delicious. Oh, I bet. That sounds super tasty. Yeah, um, it's super nice. Yeah, any any vegetables that you're enjoying working with? Well, right now we have uh we have all sorts we, we we're getting like squash blossoms now that in DC. 
Um, in New York, they're still really expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> DC, yeah. um, we're getting the squash blossoms, which I love to use in things. And we're getting, of course, the typical and ubiquitous asparagus, you know. Um, yeah. They're here. And I, and I love asparagus, too. So, um, yeah. I love also the um, squashes, like, like uh, zucchinis and, and patty squashes and things that I, I really enjoy um, having and, and working with. Yeah, what do you do with the squashes? Well, you know, uh, I, I, I like them in both ways. I like them in sweet, like if you mm, cook pumpkin yeah. in, in a piloncillo syrup and then serve it with whipped cream, that's delicious. Um, mm, yeah. But I also like them in the savory thing, like we make a mash with the squash, uh, like butternut squash. Um, we also roast the butternut squashes or the um, other squashes, and we um, we make a paste out of the pumpkin seeds. Wow! With, uh, with chilies, and we serve it with that. It's really delicious. So That's unique. Within, like, that sounds great. Like you keep you keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pumpkin seeds and then squash, and it's delicious. Very, very smart. So this was one of my one of my favorite interviews that that Bryn did. Um, I feel like Chef Roberto was so excited about ingredients, and it made me excited about ingredients. And did he seems so fun? It and it made me feel like I wasn't alone. And how I get really excited if I get a really great cherry. Um, or a peach or whatever type of produce it is, especially in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the stone fruit has been unreal this summer. So and I mean, we've talked about it so much um, in our market reports, but the stone fruit is unreal. And to hear that he used cherries, roasted them and used them like tomatoes, my mind was absolutely blown. And it just makes me want to go... It makes me want to be able to look at an ingredient and see how I can transform it in such a unique way. I was I was seriously inspired by Chef Roberto. And, I mean, he's obviously he's like a, a ray of sunshine. Yeah, and he's obviously a fun guy. I mean, he has fun music playing in the background of his restaurant. Like, I just can't imagine, like, the vibe in his kitchen. I bet it is just incredible. I mean, they're making cherry salsa. Like, Well, could you see, how, like, he was, it seemed like he was smiling, while he was talking yeah. like it, it, he seemed very very excited about everything he was he was so about. stoked i mean the energy he brings is unparalleled i i want to go to dc just so i can eat at mi vita at his restaurant <laughs> lastly we have chef joe sasto his passion for culinary was ignited when he began mentoring under some of the bay area's finest chefs fast forward a few years when he learned to make handmade pasta under the direction of chef michael tusk Today, he's an Italian-influenced pasta-making machine working in L.A. We asked for his take on menu planning. You know, are there are there some trends right now in the culinary industry that you're seeing in regard to what ingredients are being used or focused on? And, I mean, do you even follow those trends? Yeah, I think, I think right now the biggest trend that I'm seeing, and maybe not necessarily about a specific ingredient, but what we're doing to ingredients in vegetables is like the pre- fermentation, uh, making koshos and misos and preserves out of vegetables, utilizing all the trim of vegetables 
I mean, it's something I've been doing for years and now like it's starting to become more common practice, which is awesome to see. People are finally starting to understand it. People are trying it in all different ways and forms. And I think really like Rene Redzepi with his fermentation book that came out uh, recently, really just kind of paving the way and doing for the industry what Thomas Keller's like sous vide book did 10 years mm. ago. Now, what's sort of the benefit of fermentation? What have you seen, you know, in your work? Why, why do that with vegetables? I think one, it utilizes parts of the vegetable you wouldn't normally utilize. It allows you to use vegetables out of season. And then mm -hmm. it coaxes flavors out of vegetables you wouldn't normally be able to get from that vegetable. So it kind of opens up a whole new flavor palette when, say, you're working with beans you start to ferment them, you start to preserve them, you get a whole new different range of ways you can use beans than just using them fresh. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. What's your process for creating menu items, new menu items? Uh, you know, it's one of those things that comes in all shapes and forms. I don't think there's a direct process. I often don't like to think about menus too far in advance. Like right now, I'm traveling and doing events everywhere and have multiple menus lined up that I need to write, but I wait until I'm closer to the date, maybe about three weeks out or so, to write that menu because mm -hmm. I'm constantly eating, I'm constantly traveling, seeing new things, trying new things, watching other chefs do new things and kind of that whole process. I mean, I could get inspiration from anywhere. My girlfriend gives me a huge source of inspiration. Oh, cool. Whether it be from music, uh, from plants, from nature, kind of everything coming together and using any which outlet as a form of inspiration. I don't really mm. have a set way that I come up with things. It's more of like I'll see something and it'll spark something. When I heard Chef Joe talk about fermenting beans and different ingredients and how it changes the whole flavor profile, it made me think about how... Um, just recently I, um, discovered some pickled fennel at a restaurant I ate at and I really want to start, um, making my own pickles and even try a whack at pickled fennel. And I think that it's, it's just really crazy how, you know, fennel is so strong tasting like licorice, um, when it's just raw. And then when it was pickled, it kind of took on more of the taste around like an onion, but still with that sweet kind of anise flavor to it. Um, it was really interesting. So I think, I think pickling and, and fermenting is really neat. Um, it's interesting. He's an Italian chef um, and he's talking about pickling and fermentation, but I don't know of, I don't know of any uses of that in Italian well, cuisine. Yeah. And so he is basically fusing Italian and Asian cuisine together, which is not creative. normal and create. Yeah. It's very creative. creative. Yeah. Also thinking about the menu planning aspect, how he was like, I don't like to plan too far in advance. The OCD in me thought, oh my goodness, as a chef, I would want to plan farther in advance, but I know that that's just not, yeah. that's just not the way that. You have to plan seasonally too. So you can't, yeah. I mean, you have a new ingredient that comes in. That's great. You have to, you have to use it and you have to rearrange your menu, whether it be minor tweaks or bigger tweaks. I think part of creativity as a chef 
comes from being able to be flexible. And I think being able to be flexible and being creative go hand in hand when it comes to the kitchen. Well, and so say you get a new ingredient, right? And you already have your menu set. If you, you can try this new ingredient and, but physically try it to make sure that it's going, that it's good and it, it flows with your restaurant theme. So it's not that big of a leap, if that makes sense, it's it's you actually can materialize the creative process quickly. So it I mean, I guess it is kind of stressful, but at the same time, you can materialize in it. You know, it's going to work. All right, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed that little recap. That's all we have for this week. Please go give Colorful Plates a follow on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for recipes and more. We hope you have a fantastic week. Go experiment with some new ingredients in the kitchen, and we hope you drew some inspiration from our top five picks out of our chef interviews. Please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, and as always, stay fresh. <laughs>